Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. You know who's on the line? Marion. <laughs> well, I hope she heard uh, the nice things I was saying about her. Hi, Marion. Oh, hello, Cal. Cal, it's lovely. I, I agree with you, Cal. I agree with you entirely. May I say, Cal, that I, having listened to you now for the last hour, Cal, I am dropping my liberal boots. I am becoming a conservative. I'm going to become a conservative crusader and I'm dropping the whole thing, Cal. I'm going out on the road with you. I am rescinding female voting rights. And then, do you know what, Cal? I'm going to buy a Ford pickup truck and I'm going to get a red MAGA hat and I'm going out on the road and I'm just going to shout, yee-haw! That's what I'm going to do, Cal. Is that all right with you? You know, that had, that had me going there for about five seconds, but uh, I think you hit every stereotype about conservatives I can think of, except for the blue suit and the white socks. <laughs> Well, if you, like me, are a fan of The Last Word with Matt Cooper on Today FM, then you will probably be very familiar with my special guest on this episode, the ever-fascinating Cal Thomas. Cal, along with the journalist Marion McKeown, have a weekly slot on Matt's show, as you might know, where they debate the big stories and issues happening in the United States on any given week. Marion generally leans very liberally. Cal leans more to the right. And then sometimes, sometimes they meet somewhere in the middle with the help of Matt. It's always a great listen. Marion was a guest on this podcast a few months ago, so this week it's Cal's turn. I would urge you to listen back to the Marion episode as it's one of the best episodes I think we have. But he is one of America's best known and longest serving journalists, a former Fox News host. His columns are syndicated all over the US print media and he's penned several best-selling books as well. Uh, Why? Because he's eloquent, uh, intelligent and he always has an opinion, and that's why I wanted to have him on my podcast. And now we tax the successful, we regulate corporations, we are into envy, greed, and entitlement in America. The whole mm. idea of personal responsibility, hard work, taking a responsibility for yourself has gone out the window. Giving more money to government hoping that it will spend it responsibly is like giving more blood to Dracula, hoping he won't bite your neck again. Larry King, who was a great uh, presenter on CNN for many years, I, I did his show many times. He said to me one night, he said, now Cal, uh, we all know you're deeply religious. I said, no, I'm not, Larry. He says, you're not? I said, no, I used to be deeply religious. Now I just love Jesus. Big difference between religion and a relationship. If you love what you do, uh, and not everybody does, I love what I do. I love getting paid for your opinions. I mean, how many people can claim that? Cal and I recorded this conversation just days after the tragic high school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, a story that is still very much in the news in the United States. So we do talk about gun law reform, but we may not cover some of the more recent aspects of that particular story. But this week... Um, In Ireland, and even in England as well, this part of the world really, all the talk is about fuel prices at the moment. Um, The cost of filling up the car, the oil tank, the price of gas, etc. There's even talk now about fuel rationing. My podcast colleagues, as usual, were all over it. All set, David? All set, Sean, go ahead. And we're rolling. Go. Hello there, and how are you doing? I'm David. And I'm John. Let's talk about fuel rationing. Let's do that. The economics of fuel rationing 
are fascinating mm -hmm. in every respect, John. They are, they are. As we hurtle our way back into the 1970s. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus, I remember it well, John. Hey, David. The main streets of Darkie, 1976. Dave, you're doing it again. Not a chip of gas or an aisle between the lot of us freezing our bollocks off we were. David. We'd be building a bonfire no. up off the Fuego Road with all the other poor chiselers of Colonial Darkie. That never happened, Dave. No wood. So we had to burn our bleeding jocks, we oh, did. Come on. The only way, the only part of our body oh, that was warm was our bleeding maps. Oh, Ah, no sure. wonder we I'm always going. had our hands down our plate in the data's tracks yeah. out. Nothing keeps the hands toastier than a warm pair of bollocks. <laughs> John! John! And not only David McWilliams, but also Blind Boy Boat Club had plenty to say on the matter. Lads, it's Blind Boy here. I see they're talking about rationing fuel. They're slowly... Stripping away everything from us. The white, milky, fleshy, bony, translucent humans. We will need to adapt to the ways of the other mammals and sleep. Lads, we need to become a hibernation. Wouldn't it be great to retreat to a cave? Like a bear. And bury your head in your paws. Slow the heart rate down, lads. Breathing once only every 5.2 minutes. And conserve your fuel. <sniffs> Think of the benefits for your mental health. I've never seen a bear with mental health problems. They're Buddha-like and transcendental. Even the most famous bear in the world is called Yogi. Yogi Bear and Boo Boo never fretted about the cost of a half tank up in Top Isle. And have you ever seen a squirrel have a panic attack? No. Because you see, lads, squirrels aren't nuts. Just like eating them. Ponder that for a moment. As you buy me a coffee. Thanks. Ah, oh, it's great to hear Blind Boy back on my podcast. I missed him. Um, and listen, um, it's exclusive comedy every week here on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please subscribe. Please follow. But if you do anything for me, just tell one other person about the podcast if you enjoyed it. Um, you can also contact me directly. Um Mario Rosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all. I get back to about 95% of them. I'm also on Twitter at GiftGrubMario and Facebook and Instagram as well, where I update regularly about the podcast um, and with little snippets and clips uh, and things that are coming up. So let's get straight into my uh, chat with this week's special guest, Cal Thomas. If you don't know Cal, you're in for a treat. If you do know Cal from The Last Word with Matt Cooper, then you're also in for a treat because this is a far longer conversation with Cal than you will have been used to. A deep dive, as they say. He doesn't just talk about his conservative opinions. He talks about why he holds them. He also gets personal about his spirituality and relationship with God. Whether you are a believer or not, I think you'll find this part very interesting. Enjoy. 
Cal, thank you so much uh, for joining me on the podcast. And uh, as you said, as I as I know, you're very, very busy and you're in great demand. And actually, that's something I might talk to you about later. But you're, you're probably aware, Cal, that your, your item with Matt Cooper and Marion McKeown on uh, The Last Word is exceptionally popular in Ireland. Um, that a lot of people tune in. It's an appointment to listen. And some people who don't even listen to Matt Cooper uh, tune in to listen to uh, your encounters and your, your little um, set-tos with, with Matt and Marion. And I particularly love the item as well. And, uh, but not just because I work in Today FM, but because uh, I, I do enjoy the item. Yeah. Um, but I want, and especially, I, I guess, over the last five years, since 2015, for obvious reasons. And I guess I, I wanted to jump off by asking you, um, in all that time in the last five years and the, the 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 events that might happen during the week leading up to your appearances with Marion and Cal, and you know that Matt, that Matt is going to ask you certain questions, did you ever feel, geez, how am I going to defend what seems to be the indefensible? Or did you feel, you know what, there's a little bit of theatre involved here. I'm going to I'm going to up the ante with Matt and just you know stoke the debate. Well, it helps to uh, get to know people, and I visited with Matt on several occasions in Dublin and once in New York uh, in the 2016 election cycle. Introduced him to people at Fox. Marion has uh, visited with my wife and myself in uh, Florida, and we visited with her in, in Los Angeles. So when you begin to develop personal relationships with people. You can actually have a discussion and find out that you agree on things more than once uh, on an individual program. Marion will say, well, I agree with all of what Cal said, or I agree with some of what he said. And I'll say, well, you know, Marion, you made a good point. And I think, you know, this this kind of discussion is good for democracy instead of just constantly slamming other people and labeling them as somehow worthy of the citizenship that they hold in their country. So I respect Matt tremendously. I think he's very smart. He knows a lot about a lot of things. And I uh, enjoy him. And, you know, he's a very good presenter. And he asks these, uh, you know, confrontational questions or runs these sound bites of people making outrageous statements because it's good radio and it helps people tune in, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but to answer the question, uh, did you feel it hard to defend, you know, your president over those four years at times? Well, it goes both ways. I mean, you know, when uh, Barack Obama was president, there was Marion finding no fault in him at all Mm -hmm. and uh, pointing out a number of them, including uh, probably his most famous broken promise about Obamacare. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor and nothing Mm -hmm. will change, which, of course, was not true at all. So, uh, you know, this is part of the dynamic. I mean, uh, this is why we have two parties in the U.S. and uh, we are constantly debating and and fighting with one another, hopefully to form a more perfect union. But I, uh, you know, as a conservative, I I realize there is error on my side on occasion, and uh, Marion does too. And I think it helps for an honest conversation to be able to uh, uh, confess that sometimes your side is not always right. Yeah, no, and I've heard you do that, and 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 also I've heard Marion as well do that. And you're right that Matt is a is a very good um, is a very good presenter and a very good uh, you know arbiter of 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 what's fair and what's not. But you did mention the and I've had both Matt and Marion on the podcast as well, and you did mention the word conservative there, and I, that's something I actually wrote down as one of my first notes that I wanted to ask you about. I mean, in the age of in the age of Trump and in, and this side of the world as well 
Cal, in the age of Boris, where it's kind of been moulded to a kind of a cult of personality in many ways. They've kind of bent the conservatism to their own will. They've called it whatever they are. Whatever I am now, that's what conservatism is. But it isn't. It's, that's Boris and that's Trump. What, what for you is a conservative? Because if we, if we want to get back to the days, as you say, where we want to have a civilised debate with each other between, in inverted commas, Democrats and conservatives, well, maybe it would be a good idea to define what Democrats and conservatives are. Like, so tell me, what, you know, in, in good faith, what is a conservative? That's a great question, and it is one that we should ask more often. Just because you accept the label doesn't mean you are one. Donald yeah. Trump, for example, used to be on the other side of a lot of things, uh, abortion, for example, uh, being the most prominent. And then he flipped. I didn't think he really gave a uh, honest answer for his conversion. To me, conservatism means more individual liberty, smaller government, no debt, less spending, fewer regulations. Those, I think, are the core principles of conservatism. The idea of conserving means that you keep what has worked in the past and update it as necessary and move forward. The left is for larger government, higher taxes, uh, talking about income inequality, uh, less individual liberty and responsibility. Now, that can be an oversimplification, but it's largely true, I think. Doesn't mean I don't have friends on the left. Doesn't mean I don't have conversation and personal relationships with them. I do. But I do think that uh, we are not the first people to walk the earth. We don't have to invent the wheel or discover the use of fire. We have a past. We know which policies have worked, domestic and foreign. And we should not just have to repeat this every election cycle. We should discard things that are not working, keep things that are working. I remember Bill Maher, the American comedian, made um, a good remark recently when he said, you know, why is everybody in America against the word socialism? Why is the word socialism in America a bad word? When, in fact, you know, in Europe, for example, socialism isn't a bad word. But if you say the word socialist in America, you're akin to being the devil or something. And then he said, for example, like, look, at, for example, roads. Roads are socialism. We all need roads. And, I'm, and the government builds roads. I don't walk down a highway or walk down um, a highway, Cal, and go, sorry, I'd just like to put out my little bit of road here that I want to walk on my own. You can't walk on that road because that's my road. No, we build roads so that we can all walk on them. And that's socialism. So well, I, government, I, you need government to build those roads and you need well, government to do those things. Well, I don't think that that's socialism. I think that's uh, promoting the general welfare as we have in uh, one of our founding documents. I remember what Margaret Thatcher, the late prime minister of Britain said, the only problem with socialism is you soon run out of other people's money. Uh, and we, have, we are supposed to have limited government. The founders of our country uh, expected uh, government to be limited so people would be unlimited. The purposes of government are outlined in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. When Thomas Jefferson wrote about certain endowed and alienable rights, he also wrote in the Declaration of Independence and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. To secure what rights? Well, the rights that God had endowed. Why is that necessary? Because as James Madison said, another one of our founding fathers, if men were angels, government wouldn't be necessary. So the purpose of government is to promote the general welfare, provide for the common defense, ensure domestic tranquility. The rest is up to us. We have reverted from that to our current notion in the United States 
that the government is our keeper, we shall not want. The government is a first resource, not a last resort. Compassion is getting people out of poverty. I remember something the late Barbara Bush, the wife of uh, George H.W. Bush said, uh, our, our success as a nation, your success as a family, depends less on what happens in the White House and more on what happens in your house. The whole mm. idea of personal responsibility, hard work, taking a responsibility for yourself has gone out the window. And now we tax the successful, we regulate corporations, we are into envy, greed, and entitlement in America. When I was growing up, it was inspiration followed by motivation followed by perspiration improves any life. And now if you make, uh, say, two euro, and Mike, I make one euro to put it on the European perspective, you owe me 50, uh, you owe me half of that just to be fair. Well, that's socialism, or as Barack Obama said, spreading the wealth around. I don't want to spread the wealth around. I want to spread the opportunity around for more people to be wealthy. That's what America is, or it used to be. I mean, more, you know, we all know from the, from the, from post-war, from post-war America, the land of opportunity. But for me, more and more, while I am a great admirer in what, what's called the American ideal or the, my idea or the American experiment of democracy or even the American dream, it seems that opportunity is something that doesn't really exist to the same extent anymore in America. So, for example, the idea that, hey, any, everybody that's born can, be, can eventually become president of the United States. But really, that really isn't true in, in, in practice, is it, Cal? I don't think I mean, anybody- not everybody wants to be president of the United States. No, but, but to reach the highest element, to reach the highest version of themselves that they can be. Really, it's people are excluded, though, aren't they, Cal? I'm excluded. I was not, for, for a long time, I wasn't hired because I was too young. Now I'm not mm. hired because I'm too old. I'm too white. I'm too male. <laughs> uh, I, do, I, don't, uh, I don't complain. I don't file suits. I find a yeah. different way around the blockade to become successful. Uh, I've been blessed. Be, now I'm the most widely syndicated columnist in America. I had to work at it. I mean, I was turned down here and there, but I didn't give up. I mean, I played basketball in high school and college, but I knew Mm. I wasn't going to the NBA. So I went to NBC. I knew the limits of my, (laughs) I knew the limits, thank you for letting me get that line in. Uh, I knew the limits of my talents, but I didn't feel discriminated against because I wasn't good enough to play with the big boys. So when I say land of opportunity, you have to examine your own skills and there are certain rules which, if followed, will make your life better than if they are broken. Getting married before you have children, don't take drugs, stay in school and get a decent education and work hard. Now, you might not be president of the United States. You might be not be the head of a corporation, but you'll be able to provide for yourself and your family and hopefully have a job that uh, you're happy with. That's what an yeah. opportunity means. Not equal outcome, but an equal chance at developing your own skills to the maximum. When the guys were framing the Constitution and then subsequently the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment, nobody could conceive that a man aged 18 could walk in and buy an AR-15 assault rifle that could discharge 400 rounds in 20 seconds and kill 19 people like that. They lived in an age where you had a musket and you could get barely get a shot off, blow your own hand off, reload. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you couldn't do that much damage. And I wanted to know how you feel about that notion, the Second Amendment, the intransigence of both sides to be able to see each other's in the face of what 90% of people in America clearly believe 
that, for example, better checks um, on, on individuals who buy rifles and buy, buy guns. 90% of Americans believe that. Where do you see that in the Second Amendment and the Founding Fathers and what happened in Texas? Well, you're right on the history, Mario. Uh, I've just finished a column on this and new information is coming out uh, every day and almost uh, every hour. Uh, I say, to which will be a surprise to some of my friends, that I think these weapons of war should not be sold by gun dealers. Uh, there is no other purpose for them other than to kill people. And no person ought to be able to go in and buy these things over the counter. Now, if you're going to allow it, and again, I don't think it should be allowed, there ought to be full background checks. And I'm talking about psychological evaluations, interviews with parents, interviews with uh, fellow students if they're, if they're in school, interviews with teachers and administrators about any signs of erratic behavior. Uh, look, we have, uh, I've been interviewed by the FBI in the past when uh, I, my name has been used as a recommendation for someone for a high government post. The CIA, our Central Intelligence Agency, does full and complete background checks, sometimes taking weeks or months looking into every aspect of a person's life. But to be able to go into a gun store and to buy an AR-15 assault weapon and over 300 rounds of ammunition, there's something clearly wrong with that. And I do not think it violates or threatens the Second Amendment to put certain restrictions and regulations on these kinds of weapons. Secondly, I would say, in these debates about so-called gun control. I would ask President Biden, and I've asked Matt Cooper on the uh, on the air, tell me a law that a person intent on breaking the law is likely to obey. The prisons are full of people who thought that they could get away with breaking the law. There are people who exceed the speed limit who think that they won't get caught and get a ticket. So, uh, you know, this is a difficult subject. And I understand the other side's thinking, the National Rifle Association. They think to... to uh, cede one inch of territory to the gun control people, the extremists who want all guns to be confiscated, is a slippery slope to taking away their own guns. I think there can be a reasonable compromise on this, and weapons of war should not be sold to individual citizens. In relation to this subject, Cal, when you see people like Ted Cruz, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, obfuscate and uh, prevaricate and blame the killing of 17 or 19 people on mental health issues and refuse to see the natural mathematical obviousness that if those weapons weren't available, this particular savage crime either would not happen or would happen far less. Would you, right. would you agree? Well, I would, but I'd also say, and this is just coming out now, that apparently, according to the Associated Press, it took nearly one hour, <coughs> excuse me, for the police to get into the building. One officer said he was looking for a key, a key to the room where this guy uh, uh, Romas was uh, holed up with all of the all of the children. Now this is this is nuts, and they were using uh, the threats of tasers to keep parents out of the school, rushing to try to retrieve their children. So there, the school district has a web page where it claims all sorts of things that it has to protect the schools. But something clearly broke down. 
you know, metal detectors, uh, alarm systems, high fences, something wasn't working. And in the response, it wasn't working either. The initial reports were that uh, the there was a security officer who may have been wounded by the kid before he got inside the building. So this is going to take some time to investigate. And usually the initial information in these things is, is wrong. And a lot of it is. But the, the fact that it took almost an hour for the uh, cops to get inside the building is indefensible. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah, and it kind of tallies into something else that the guys were saying as well, which was, you know, we need the schools to have armed guards at the door. Uh, there needs to be one door at the school. I thought that was perverse, actually, that the, every school needs to have just one door and that there needs to be guards in front of the door with guns. This is what yeah. Trump suggested as well. Trump suggested that teachers should be armed, Cal. No, no. no. I, you know, one door. I mean, the, the reason we have fire exits is because one yes. door is, uh, is not a good Correct. thing. Uh, and you know, I don't, I forget somebody said the other day, how many schools there are in America, but there are thousands. How are we going to be able to afford and how are we going to be able con- to construct sufficient safety standards to keep these kinds of things from happening? I go back to what I said earlier. I think it begins with restricting the sale of some of these high caliber weapons and magazines. Yeah. There's no reason somebody should be able to buy a magazine and 300 and what was it, 42 bullets. What's that about? He's not going to be out hunting deer. He's not going to be out target shooting with something like that. There's only one reason to buy it, and that's to kill people. You don't need an advanced degree to figure this out. So I I think Cruz and McConnell and others are, are playing to their political donors that are associated with the National Rifle Association and others. And I think that's a big mistake. We need people to stand up of whatever their political convictions or parties and say, this is enough. This is it. We, we want to honor these poor children and their parents by doing something that, will, that has the potential to work. And uh, just to do nothing, I think, is not an option. Sometimes when I'm watching Fox News and yeah. sometimes when I'm watching Tucker Carlson, I wonder if he's working for the Russian um, news agency because he's, he basically comes on and he goes, so what's wrong with Russia anyway? What has Russia ever done to us? Why do we hate the Russians so much? We didn't, they didn't start a war with us, did they? I mean, he hates the Democrats more than he hates the Russians, clearly. And it brought me on to a question I wanted to ask you about Fox News. You worked for Fox News. Is it a much different place now than the place that you worked for before? And could you conceive of yourself being a host on Fox News in these times? Well, there's two different questions. I had my own show for two years, and they basically let me have on who I wanted. I take great pride in claiming that I think I was the first host to successfully get Democrats to come on Fox News. They wouldn't come on. Now, I've known the uh, House Majority Leader, uh, Steny Hoyer, for over 40 years, good friend of mine. So I I wrote him a note, and I sent him an email, and I said, Steny, you know me. Uh, have Democrats come on my show. They'll be treated with respect. They'll be allowed to complete their sentences and not interrupt it. And so he sent a note around and Democrats started showing up on first my show and then other Fox programs. Uh, Yes, it's changed, but television has changed uh, generally. Uh, When Roger Ailes founded uh, uh, under Rupert Murdoch's uh, uh, authority, uh, Fox News Channel, he had come over from CNBC, where he had also hired me to do a show there. Uh, he uh, he really believed in fairness and balance. And 
He had people from both sides on all the time. Uh, despite his personal problems, I think he did an incredible job at Fox News. Now, people say, well, could you be on this network? I, I had a letter from a woman once when I had a show on CNBC. We also had a show on CNBC with a guy who did some sex show. How can you be on a network like that? I said, well, you know, my column is in newspapers with all kinds of things that I might not agree with in newspapers. They don't tell me what to do, and I don't tell them what to do. I do my show my way, and uh, hopefully that contributes to uh, uh, general knowledge. So, uh, yeah, if they offered me a show, I might consider it, though I'd have to go to New York every week, and it's kind of dangerous there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Wallace was kind of, I suppose, a little bit of a tipping point for me when Chris left Fox News, because I think he was one of the last bastions of kind of um, uh, bipartisanship, if you like, the ability to be able to talk to somebody and, and listen to them and well, hear them out. Journalism has changed a lot in America, too, uh, Mario. Uh, you have a revolving door with too many people coming from government into television and then going back to government again. You see it all the time. Uh, the late John Chancellor, who was an anchor at NBC for many years and yep. then was named the head of the Voice of America by Lyndon Johnson, has said that everybody ought to be allowed one trip to what he called the other side, and then you have to make up your mind what you want to do. I think that's a pretty good standard. Uh, the standards of journalism are not what they were when I started out. I'm not a member of organizations. I don't uh, shill for various products, um, as you see some people doing on the air today. I've been in journalism virtually all of my life with only one side trip into the, onto the other side. And I just, uh, I think it's contributed to the loss of credibility. It's not just what I think. The polls, Columbia University, Gallup poll, have shown the trust in the media in the United States now is at an all-time low. And that is very dangerous for a stable democracy. The, the press is the only institution mentioned in our Constitution. The founders, even though they were on the receiving end of a lot of negative press, including our first president, George Washington, still understood that a free press was essential for a stable democracy. And uh, I, I don't think uh, the profession of journalism is anything like it was when I started out in it. It's not really free anymore in America, the press, I don't believe, because although it has a kind of a a, a label that says freedom on it, each side is constrained to just bleat out the mantra of that side. It is not free to say what they want. So Fox News is not free and CNN is not free to say what it wants. It must say the mantra. They are both Pravda. They are both they are both Pravda in, 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 from Russia. Well, that's a good, that, well, I wouldn't go that far, but you, 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 know, you make a good point. But as a friend of mine says, who is a radio talk show host and a uh, conservative, the greatest power of the media is the power to ignore. Look at what they did with Hunter Biden's laptop. For mm. months and months and months, the, the major media, New York Times, Washington Post, the broadcast network, CNN, ignored it or put it down. Social media, Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, all mm. of these bought the New York Post reporting on this story which later they had to admit extremely Agreed. reluctantly that, that, that the story was right from the New York Post. Well, this too contributes to the uh, uh, diminishing of, of respect and belief in journalism. I had, a, I had a note this morning from somebody who I've known for some years. She said, I don't even watch the news anymore. It's so predictable. I find out uh, what I need to know on my own. You know, I, I find my own sources. 
And that's very, that's dangerous. And basically, as a friend of mine, uh, the late Bob Beckel said, uh, people tune in now to only those things that reinforce what they already believe. They don't want to hear an alternative point of view. They don't want to consider that somebody else might have something that would be right. They, they don't want to listen to another person's life experience. I mean, for white people to think that they can tell black people everything they need to know about everything is uh, presumptuous because I don't know that kind of discrimination. My uh, editor at uh, Tribune in Chicago is an African-American woman. She told me once about how she feels when she walks into a store uh, and she has the money to buy the products that she's looking for, but she feels these eyes on her that, that say, you know, they think because I'm black that I'm going to shoplift. And look what the media promote. They, they show all these scenes of black people uh, in Louis Vuitton stores, hitting with hammers, jewelry stores, and that, that portrays a kind of stereotype and its own form of racism, I would argue, uh, and they rarely show successful African-American families, people who stay in school, don't take drugs, get married, have a wonderful family, beautiful children. Mm. They don't show that because it doesn't sell. It's like, uh, you know, the old line about uh, if it bleeds, it leads on the newscast. Yep. You know, yep. a, an explosion is more exciting visually uh, than uh, somebody obeying the, the law and uh, doing the right thing in life. And so what you promote, you get more of. And what you ignore, you get less of. And the media have a major role in this. And shockingly, there's nobody to hold them accountable. Well, was Bob Beckel um, the gentleman that you did point and counterpoint with? Well, we did a column for 10 years in USA Today called Common Ground. Bob portrayed Mm. himself as a liberal Democrat. I'm a conservative. And uh, we would argue through positions and always in each column find something we agreed with to move the ball forward. This is what Ted Kennedy and Orrin Hatch did. The late Orrin Hatch, conservative Republican from Utah, Ted Kennedy, liberal Democrat from Massachusetts. They had a personal relationship. And despite which party was in the majority in the Senate, they would work together to promote common interests. This is the way things used to be. You talk about John F. Kennedy now. He probably couldn't get nominated by his party for president, much less get elected. He cut taxes. He made a great speech in 1962, I think it was, or three, early 63, to the Detroit Economic Club on on the the benefits of lower taxes for businesses and individuals to promote a a robust economy. What Democrat talks about that these days? So they've been taken over. Both sides have been taken over by the fringes uh, of their parties. And this is why nothing gets done, no matter who's uh, in the majority. Listen, you and I have one thing in common. We have both spoken, are about to speak at, the Kennedy Summer School. Well, I enjoyed my last experience there. I think Larry Donnelly has done a tremendous job in putting together uh, great programs in the past. I remember the last time I was there with my friend Maureen Dowd of the New York Times. Uh, you know, I love Ireland. Uh, I think you may know I used to have property in Northern Ireland uh, yeah. uh, on the Antrim coast. And, uh, you know, I followed, I was over there during the end of the Troubles the first time in the 70s and followed with great interest this uh, whole border thing and currency and trade. And and I certainly don't hope they don't abrogate the Good Friday Agreement because that was one of the great uh, political settlements of all time. And it needs to be preserved, in my view. I think eventually uh, Ireland will be united. Uh, I hope it will. I think it's in the interest of the Irish people. And uh, 
I see that uh, Stormont is going to have some uh, 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 conversations next week, hopefully getting back to an assembly in, uh, in Belfast. And that can only be a positive thing, I think. Uh, yeah. Hopefully Protestants will go along and not be too upset by Sinn Féin's uh, election victory. So we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, uh, it was great to see the Americans keeping up the tradition of being keeping their eye on things, being very involved, being involved on the ground as well. Congressman Richard Neal was over during the week and he yeah. spoke at the Senate. And it was good to see, you know, I remember from the George Mitchell and, you know, Bill Clinton days. It was just it's just been brilliant to see. And, and you know, Ted Kennedy and all the way back to the Kennedys and everything. Well, yeah, this is that. one of the few uh, uh, things that Republicans and Democrats can agree on. We love Ireland. Even, you know, we people who are not Irish celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, you know, the heritage, the music, uh, the history, uh, it's fascinating. I mean, it's its a fascinating country, and uh, I always enjoy coming there, and I'm looking forward to coming back to the Kennedy School in September. Um, Cal, you're 79 years of age. One of the things that we, me, me, and, me and Patrick talked about behind your back before you came on was how, what a work ethic you have, and it's well known that's a work ethic. On a busy day for Cal Thomas, what's it like? Tell me about your day, let's say. What, would you get, what time would you get up? Um, what kind of stuff are you doing? Well, I, you know, I get up around 6, 6.15 in the morning and uh, uh, go through, uh, you know, read my Bible verses for the day and uh, have, uh, have time with my wife over coffee, and we listen to, uh, we listen to verses that are articulated by a tremendous narrator. And then I uh, go online and uh, check the newspapers, five or six newspapers, Washington Post, Washington Times, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, uh, look at uh, UK Daily Mail and Drudge and other news sources and um, try to keep up with uh, what has happened overnight. Uh, I usually write my first column of the week no later than Sunday afternoon uh, for publication on Tuesday. And then the second one is available. Uh, I finish usually by Wednesday. For Thursday, I do uh, five syndicated radio commentaries of one minute each uh, every day, every uh, week. And then, of course, I do Today FM, and I do uh, WMAL in Washington, which is the number one station in D.C., do commentary on that every uh, every Wednesday. So, And then I've you know, just finished a new book that hopefully will be out in the fall if supply mm. chain issues don't get in the way about my look back on 50 years uh, of, of being a journalist and what I've observed. No, it's Other funny, that, actually. It's not a boring life. Somebody asked me, yeah. do you play golf? I said, no, I have enough frustration in my life. <laughs> oh, it's funny, though, because actually, yeah, yeah. No, it's funny because just when you're reeling off all that stuff there, it reminded me of Matt Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> you're both you're both work maniacs. Well, we we always we wonder do. how you know, we... I, uh, if you love what you do uh, and not everybody does. Um, why would somebody say, well, you going to retire? I said, no, why should I retire? As long as I've got my health and uh, I love what I do. I love getting paid for your opinions. I mean, how many people can claim that? <laughs> I totally agree with you. Keep doing what you do and keep moving forward. Um, religion, you, you mentioned religion there. Have you always been as religious as you are now? Has it always been a, has it always been a through point in your life? Has it, always, has it been an ever-present? Or have you found yourself becoming more religious? Or, listen, God forbid, sorry to use the, 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 his name in vain, but, but, but do you, like, is it, does, your, does your belief deepen or increase or or were you more devout before? Or what is your relationship with this thing well, we call God? Great question. Uh, well, he, the thing we call God, he calls himself. Uh, uh, I, um, 
uh, I refer back to uh, something Larry King, who was a great uh, presenter on CNN for many years. I, I did his show many times. And he said to me one night, he said, now, Cal, uh, we all know you're deeply religious. I said, no, I'm not, Larry. He says, you're not? I said, no, I used to be deeply religious. Now I just love Jesus. Big difference between religion and a relationship. I would say mm. two things. My faith has grown stronger over the years, especially as I see the direction of the world. And because I see the direction of the world, uh, everything is laid out in Scripture about what we call the end times. Uh, Paul writes about it in the New Testament. Jesus talked about what it was going to be like. Prophets like Daniel in the Old Testament talk about it. And in my view, current events line up with all of those things. So uh, the existence of God, the flawed nature of human beings that Scripture calls sin, explains why bad things happen and also why good things happen, why people are motivated to do good. People say, well, all of these horrible things, shootings, proves there's no God. Okay, well, how about the good things? What does that prove? So the very fact that a lot of people want to do good is an indication that uh, God exists. So, you know, I can't convince anybody else. I don't have the power to do that. But I would just say uh, that my life has taken on great meaning because of my relationship, not with, with religion, but with a person who lived a life, the only life that was perfect and acceptable to God, who took upon my sin and the sins of the world, died in my place, rose again like no other person has ever done, and has a purpose for my life and a home in heaven when I'm no longer on this earth. That is of great comfort to me and to millions of other people worldwide. We will now take up the offering. <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely, Cal, in the name of the Father. Cal, to, almost to finish off, I have a quick fire. Who is your most savory Democratic senator? Oh, boy. Uh, well, you know, I've had, you know, I had a great relationship with Ted Kennedy. We were friends. I was going through a box of letters the other day, notes that he had sent me and just realized how, you know, one, one night I took he and his wife uh, to hear Mary Black, who, who was uh, in uh, performing in Alexandria, Virginia. And we had a great evening together and head snapped everywhere. And I overheard somebody saying, what's Cal Thomas doing hanging out with Ted Kennedy? A friend of mine, you know, I don't, I don't denounce people for their political positions or the beliefs. And this is how you get heard and get respected by respecting other people and listening to their points of view. So, uh, you know, I maybe somebody will make a speech on one side or the other and I'll write about it. And I say, that was a bad idea, but I hope in my columns over the years, and I can't, you know, I've written over 3000. I'd have to go back and look at them all. Uh, actually I did for my new book, but uh, I hope I haven't engaged in the personal attack that a lot of people do. I mean, these no, are people who are elected by their constituency. Who am I to denounce them? Let them denounce them themselves if they want. <laughs> I'm not going to make. I'm not going to make, give you any more difficulty on that. Um, who will be the next Republican nominee for president? Well, I hope it's not Donald Trump because uh, I think his corrosive personality. And here I go. I'm not condemning him. I mean, I've interviewed him. I, I know him a little bit. But I really think that and the age factor. I mean, uh, here is uh, here is President Biden, who in 2024 is going to be 82 years old. Uh, 
uh, Trump will be, what, 79, something like that. I think we need a lot of youthful and more vigorous leadership. And there are a lot of them out there from uh, Governor DeSantis of Florida, uh, Christy Noem, the governor of, uh, of uh, North Dakota, um, many, many good uh, younger leaders out there that can give us new blood and inspiration. You know, when, when Kennedy came into office, he said in his inaugural address, the torch has been passed to a new generation. I love that line. And I think it's time for the torch to be passed from a lot of these older people who've had their time, including those in the Senate, but especially uh, running for president to a new generation. We've got a lot of 40-somethings and 50-somethings out there that are intelligent, that are capable, that are experienced. A lot of our governors uh, with administrative experience, Mike Pence, uh, who's been a friend of mine for many years, former vice president. I knew him when he was first in Congress and then governor of Indiana and then vice president, a man of great integrity and uh, personal uh, uh, uprightness. I think he would be terrific. So there are a lot of them out there. And I I think that uh, Trump would be very, very divisive. And, uh, you know, he's still replaying the the last election. That's just not going to cut it. People want to look to the future, not to the past. Okay. Was January 6th orchestrated by Trump? I don't think it was orchestrated, but I think he certainly contributed a lot to it. Uh, You know, uh, he urged people to go down to the Capitol. I'll be there with you. Well, of course, he wasn't. And you had a lot of fringe elements in the crowd. You had some people who were just there exercising their First Amendment rights to peaceably assemble and to petition their government, which it says in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights. But then you had the other crazies, whether it be QAnon or some of these other radical groups, who who actually thought that the election had been uh, wrongly decided and that enough people had cheated, which has never been proven in any court, including courts presided over by Trump judges, uh, who who turned to violence, which is never the answer. Not in you know, not in a in a in a constitutional republic. It may be in third world uh, countries they think, but but it's never really the answer because it doesn't solve anything, and you don't win the argument. Um, you said this earlier on about about Republicans and fiscal fiscal um, probity, um, small government, limited regulations, fiscal probity. If the Republicans who claim to be fiscally conservative um, are conservative, how come the, tri- the, d- the national debt has gone from 21 trillion to 30 trillion in the four years of the Trump administration? Well, yeah, COVID is one of the great answers. I mean, it cost a lot of money. And before that, Afghanistan, of course. And uh, um, his tax cut? Well, no. Well, look, if you're giving more money to government, hoping that it will spend it responsibly is like giving more blood to Dracula, hoping he won't bite your neck again. I mean, the, the worst thing you could do is give more money. Look, look at all the misspent money, billions of dollars that are missing from COVID relief. Where did it go? Nobody knows. The irresponsibility of politicians to handle our money is like sending your kid off to college with a budget. And after the first week, he gets drunk, he's partying, he, he buys a car he can't car he can't afford, and then he calls you up and asks for more money. You'd be an idiot if you sent it to him as a parent. But that's what that's what government in the United States does. Okay, we've misspent all of this money, and we don't know where half of it is. And a lot of it we spent has not produced the results we claim. But we want to spend more, and we want to tax you more. John Kennedy again cut taxes. The economy boomed. 
Ronald Reagan cut taxes, but later raised them, unfortunately, and the economy boomed. Every time taxes are cut, hopefully along with, with uh, reducing spending, and you're right, that hasn't been done, uh, we get a stronger economy. George H.W. Bush said, read my lips, no new taxes. And then Jim Wright, <laughs> the Speaker of the House, convinced him that, okay, if you go for a tax increase, we'll cut spending. So Bush went for the tax increase, and guess what? The Democrats didn't go for cutting spending, and that's what cost him re-election in 1988. Fair enough. Cal, listen, listen, it's nearly all over. It's nearly all over, and I've really enjoyed your company, and thank you for spending your time with me and your incredibly hard-working day, and thanks for cutting a piece of it out for me and joining me on my podcast. There's just one more thing to do. Some people um, are live, listening to this podcast live, you know, and um, in inverted commas, and uh, they'd love to talk to you. So, you know who's on the line? Marion. <laughs> well, I hope she heard uh, the nice things I was saying about her. Say hello to Marion. Hi, Marion. Oh, hello, Cal. Cal, it's lovely. I, I agree with you, Cal. I That's... agree with you entirely. Cal, Cal, may I say, may I say, Cal, that I, having listened to you now for the last hour, Cal, I am dropping my liberal boots. I am becoming a conservative. I'm going to become a conservative crusader and I'm dropping the whole thing, Cal. I'm going out on the road with you. I am rescinding female voting rights. And then, do you know what, Cal? I'm going to buy a Ford pickup truck and I'm going to get a red MAGA hat and I'm going out on the road and I'm just going to shout, yee-haw! That's what I'm going to do, Cal. Is that all right with you? You know, that had, that had me going there for about five seconds, but uh, I think you hit every stereotype about conservatives I can think of, except for the blue suit and the white socks. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Mario, uh, it's been great. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you much. Thank you so much, Cal. We'll see you in September. And that's it from Cal. Thanks very much to Cal for joining me from the United States. I know he has a hectic schedule. Um, so thanks a million to him for taking the time out um, to have this conversation. If you can, listen back to the sister conversation of this, if you like, which is the episode I did with Marion McKeown, which I really found fascinating. Marion was a real hoot about her stories um, going around the United States, especially with the, the MAGA crowd, uh, the Trump people, the Republicans. Um, thanks a million to you for listening. Keep subscribing. Keep following. Get in touch with me um, directly, Rosenstock at gmail.com. Tell me what you think. Um, Give us a rating. I'm back, same time, same place, next week. Take it easy.